podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. We've got a technical issues. Um, quick shout out to Deho Dai Karate from Terry Vanskfield. Terry, thank you for being a good friend and for providing me with a cat. Coffee tastes better with Deho Dai Karate. Hi, Matthew. Uh, I'm really uh, happy to see that there is more support for students because with the current financial climate, uh, people struggle. And your initiative, it's a very interesting one. I, my understanding is you're providing geese or uniforms to students who can't afford them. Can you tell us more about it? It's, it is a geese, a gee, right? Yes. Uh, good morning, Les. Thanks for having me on your podcast to talk about this. Um, that's exactly right. Um, given the current financial climate, as you brought up, I started this charity to help not only practitioners in karate, but all martial arts by providing them with a uniform that lets them go to the club and feel part of that environment, you know, part of the dojo, part of the training. So how did you come up with this idea? Uh, I used to teach classes here in Glasgow about 12 years ago. Um, I worked in a lot of the, the little schemes about, um, you know, one of them was Cast Milk over in Berlonic in the north. And these were probably on the poverty line, if not just below, you know, single income families, that, that sort of thing, um, where they, they were asking me to, you know, could they pay the class fee at the end of the month? never mind buying a uniform and the grading fees and all of this. So I, I definitely became aware of the cost that's involved in sending a child or even as an adult now participating. And I, I kind of came up with the idea there, jotted it down and it stayed in my desk for that long. Is, so, because I'm running the Karate for Mental Health movement and we've been thinking about setting up a charity, but then I look into it and it looks like a full-time job, which I don't have time for. How difficult was for you to find people? Because I see you've got five people on the team at the moment. You're looking for two people, so if you want to help um, yeah. join the team, how did you manage to get a group of people actually wanting to do stuff and how did you go about the process of setting up the charity? Finding the people wasn't that difficult. Um, it was my partner at the time who had said to me, that's been on your desk for a while. Are you going to do it? Are you going to get it started? Or is it just going to be an idea? And that, that very much spurred me on to get the ball rolling and do that. Uh, I contacted Oscar, who are the charity regulators here in Scotland couldn't have been more helpful. They were at the end of a phone or an email, helped you through the process. They didn't want to deny you or refuse you. They wanted to help you get across whatever barriers. So they, they were very helpful. It took about six months all in to do the paperwork. And part of that was finding the board. Um, you have to have um, at least three trustees. So the initial people were Myself, my partner at the time, my mum became the secretary and my training partner from England when I used to stay in England, he 
was on board. Uh, I just gave him a call. I said, this is what I'm thinking about doing, and he loved the idea. Excellent. So um, is that the kind of full-time job for you, or are you doing that in the spare time? It feels like a full-time job, um, but no, it's, it's in my spare time. At the moment, I do have a full-time job, and I also teach classes as well just now. Um, so yes, it, it's a lot of running about and lots of different hats being put on at the moment. It's always challenging to do two free things plus teaching. I'm guessing you're still teaching, right? You just said yes. Um, how do people go about if they would like to uh, kind of they're struggling, they're looking for something? Is it just uh, for Scotland? Is it for whole UK? How do ones go about getting a suit? So we are based in Scotland and we're a Scottish um, registered charity. However, in getting that, you know, that, that title or um, that recognition, we are also covered to operate in the rest of the UK through the English Commissioner. So we have a couple of different avenues. People can contact a representative, you know, either myself or we, we have my training partner, Alan, in England. We have Samantha now, who's in Wales. So if they were in just general conversation with us, they could just ask and we would help them with the paperwork. They can go through our website at gizagi.org and the application form is there, or they can contact us through Facebook. Uh, well, on other side, if people who are in a better position would like to support your cause, you know, maybe become a um, sponsor or I don't know, send the geese or whatever. How they can do that and, and help? Are you open to that kind of thing? Yes, so we do have an income stream from old geese. So we will take in your old used up gee. And right now what we're doing is we're classifying the geese that come in either as able to be reused, where we'll have them professionally laundered and then present them to someone else. Or if they're clearly used and ready for the bin, we're talking to different textile recyclists just now and they'll give us cash for a certain weight, basically, of clothes. Um, other than that, we have our membership programme, which is currently £15 a year and then £10 to renew. And that's for individuals who want to help us and support us you get a free gift every year that you sign up. So that's pretty good for you guys. Um, you get an invite to our EGM and our event, and you get different discounts from our sponsors. Um, we, we give out promotional codes to our members. Um, other than that, we have our associate dojo program, which we have one dojo just now that have signed up. They're Senjukai based in Ayrshire in Scotland, and they pay a monthly fee. Uh, what we do is they get the individual membership that I've just um, explained, they get that, and we also put them on all of our marketing materials. So their logo and their clubs and that are on our website. It's on our printed stuff. Um, so that that's the kind of benefit to a club if they wanted to do that. And lastly is our sponsorship. 
um, which is for companies that may want to help us out. So it's a, a larger monthly fee. And again, they get their logo put on all of our branding. So you just literally started it, right? Yes, we have only been in operation. We became a registered charity in November 2022. We went public in January 2023. Okay. Um, so are you actively still training, right? Are you doing karate or something else? So I teach just now with an organization called Missing Link Martial Arts. They are more of a community of different martial artists. The baseline is karate. However, we've also dabbled in Wing Chun. There's a BJJ guy. So we all just really come together, share our knowledge, share our expertise, and teach different skills. Cool. Uh, I, I asked that to nearly every, every guest. Um, okay. In what way martial arts or for me, karate, for you, whatever you, you're practicing at the moment, um, impact your mental health? Is that something positive? Did you notice anything? It, it's definitely been a staple in my life. Um, I started when I was younger. I was in my teens. It helped me physically as well as mentally. Um, I was very overweight as a child. As a, as a teenager, I was being bullied at the time and I got into martial arts basically to look after myself, but then learned discipline, you, you know, learned that ethos of just being the, the best version of me. Really, I lost the weight, I got more confident, um, I had better discipline in my life. And yeah, I, if I don't go to training a week, I start to feel it. I'm a wee bit more down. Things are getting heavier. Um, yes, the martial arts has definitely been a good release um, of stress and a good direction as well, I think. Um, keeps you on a good path. For sure. Uh, do you see, because you, you're teaching children, I personally don't, don't teach kids. I think it's way too difficult and uh, needs a lot of patience. Do you see the changes in their behavior the same way as you seen with you because the times are changing kids are changing a little bit i think the approach of teaching kids have dramatically changed and as well uh it's put on a coaches not necessarily from martial arts but everywhere to kind of do the job from their household it's not so much focusing the home now on uh, uh behavior uh, respect and so on and so on so i think uh, it is a big part of a teacher to kind of restore that stuff. Do you feel that it's kind of a right assessment? Definitely. Um, I, I think that is a fair assessment. I think that there has been a depreciation over the, what we call it, the nuclear family. Um, over the last, you know, at least three, four generations, you know, we, we have a lot of single parent households. Um, children, I don't think, have a lot of respect anymore for older people or just for different echelons in society anymore. Teachers, you know, I, I would never talk back to a teacher, but kids now have 
nights and things like that in the classroom. So I think that there is a big importance on instructors in any field to take that on and instill that discipline in that respect. And, you, you know, when you're in the dojo, this is ultimately my space, you know, you're sharing it and you're invited to share that, but you need to follow the etiquette and the rules that come with that. Um, and I don't think that that's a lesson that's taught elsewhere in their lives just now. Yeah, I, I think that, that partially martial artists, especially the famous one, are uh, responsible for that decline a little bit because we're preaching in uh, martial arts schools and, and all sports that, you know, you need to be respectful, you need to be good, you need to put an effort. But then you see people uh, in like boxing, MMA, and they get the millions of pounds or dollars for misbehaving, being, you know, mouthy, mm-hmm. speaking back to it and do a, a very, um, what's, what's the word for it? Um, controversial things, uh, mm-hmm. not bringing like Conor McGregor and other people, you know, that they, on yeah. that rudeness, they elevate their fame and that seems to be attracting people. And then we are asking young people, oh, no, you need to behave because you're not going to be successful if you're not going to be behave. Well, just look at them, my role models. Yeah, well, that that's the thing. And I think being an instructor, especially of children, is rewarding, but it's also a massive responsibility because inside the dojo and outside of the dojo you need to keep yourself you know presentable and you have to be practicing what you preach um i think that we also have to teach the kids the difference between celebrity and traditional martial arts you know all all of the um, elements the respect the discipline the different etiquettes that we don't see in celebrity is what we should be teaching in the dojo. That's martial arts, not what we see on TV. Do you think that um, karate combat is positive thing happening for karate? Sorry, I'm all the time going back to karate because that's kind of in my heart. But generally for martial arts, for traditional martial arts, is, is that format of the competition positive or negative? Um, I started out doing Shotokan. Um, I've done Shotokan for... 17 years now um so i'm karate at heart as well i think karate combat is good i think they've got more of a control over their fighters and i I do think there is more respect to it and they come in with a different attitude do i see it going the same way as ufc has where it becomes you know more money gets poured into it, so therefore all of the traditional stuff gets pushed out. Yes, I, I can see that happening um, in the future. Let's, let's hope they're going to keep it more with the kind of respect and and uh, kind of keeping with the values of uh, traditional martial arts. So you, you li- I live in, in uh, England, you live in Scotland. What other barriers you think are there for a young people joining in their clubs because obviously here um we're I'm, I'm living in more wealthy part of the world and i know that uh, there's not so much funding going from the england to scotland what are the other barriers i think um we have the family barrier um i think that we have maybe had too many 
children having children, um, you know, younger people with not much life experience having kids, and that unfortunately results in them either getting into a party lifestyle very early on, or just being told, oh yeah, just sit down and watch your shows, or here's the iPad, or there's no real parenting kind of going on there, but there's no push to get you into clubs, whether it be sports or, you know, chess club or whatever, it might be the clubs, scouts, whatever. Um, I think that's an issue. I think poverty is an issue, um, the cost of living crisis, parents especially, or even adults, we um, attend to adults as well. Um, you know, if you're being made redundant, the first thing that's going to go is your extracurricular, that club that you attend. If something needs cut out your budget, it's going to be that. Um, I think drive in some people. Um, you know, careers are maybe the biggest focus. I think people are maybe killing themselves too much. You know, I need to be at work. I need to do this. My boss has asked me for overtime. I need to stay. We've kind of came away from the self and looking after the self more, both physically and mentally. We're too busy with careers. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a lot of barriers. For kids up here, I think it's that there's money elsewhere. There's more invitation um, to do things, you know, either get a job very early or get involved in perhaps illegal activity early because the local guy that has a lot of money gets it from, you know, doing dodgy things. Um, but they just see the money, they see that wealth and they want it and, you know, to get them out of that poverty pit. Do you work in with um, any other organisation at the moment? So you've got the connections. So I... Uh... It took me a long time, but with the Creative for Mental Health, we established like a connections with a, a community wardens. I, I managed to get into council, so I do some work for council, the mental health organization. Are you guys reaching out and got a connection, or are you just starting to work on it? Um, so as for the community person, I my full-time job is that I'm a police officer. So oh, cool. I try and make connections that way, just in my local area. I think that's a way to connect with some of my, my students as well. As, um, we teach in a, a place called Dunwarnock, where the police aren't very liked. However, when I'm in the dojo, I'm not a police officer. You know, I'm there and they build up that relationship, then find out what I do for a job. And they're like, oh, not all police officers are whatever that their choice word is. You know, we'll, we'll say an idiot for just now. Um, but I, I think that's another barrier in Scotland is getting the councils involved. There is a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of red tape and holes to jump through um, to get very little back in return. Um, they, they want the bigger governing bodies. They want the bigger organisations. It's a lot easier um, if you're very well known. Yeah, for sure. It's. I think it's everywhere. It took me a good six, seven years now to put my foot in a uh, government organization to to be noticeable. But you know, it's worth it when they when they 
get on with it. They know you better. It's easier. But it's interesting that you're a police officer. Um, because now we see that turn in kind of, um, disrespect, you know, cut funding for police. Police are bad, a bad reputation for them, which I think is unjustified because, you know, everybody's complaining about police or, or other uh, services that they not need it, right? Our uh, police are so brutal, but somebody jump on you. Where the police? Well, you all cut the funds for it. So let's talk about this. You, you, how do you feel about it? Because for me, uh, it's I've got lots of police um, friends in Prague, in Poland, and mm -hmm. uh, I see the same thing happening. That you know, I think it's all over the world that the services like uh, paramedics and police, fire, fire um, fighters, are very disrespected in my opinion mm -hmm. yeah um i have been disrespected in my job um unfortunately it comes with the job and um, you, you're seeing people at critical points in their life normally when they, they're interacting with me um they're at emotional states um that the rest of us aren't at so you, you have to kind of Take that into your calculation of the incident. Um, as for the defunding, again, I think that goes back into this idea of society has lost respect. We have more respect for celebrity and things like that than we do civic government and these jobs. Um, and society as a whole, you know, I, I think sport is great. It's great to get kids into However, when you have athletes being paid more than your doctors, you have an issue in society. Um, I, I think when a news reporter can make more money than my colleagues and I, we, we have a problem. Um, and that's not because I necessarily want more money. It's just, you know, it's going to be me that you call when an incident happens, not the news reporter, not the football player. Um, so I, I think as a society we need to have a, a, another rethink about where our funding is going. Yeah, I think, I think people forgot that you're putting your lives on the stake, right? If something goes wrong with the, somebody who is careless about lives, you lose your life, right? Um, and a footballer might break their leg. Um, mm -hmm. News reporter, fine. If they're doing like a undercover reporting, they might be in danger as well. But as you pointed out, uh, the the services like fire firefighters, paramedics, police, teachers, doctors should be pay higher than mm -hmm. let's say average or or higher income people. Yeah. It's just a more more stressful, more demanding job. It, it is, yeah. But I I think that it also has ripple effects through our society. You know, if we had more funding. We would have more cops in the street, which has already shown a more of a presence brings down crime. That if you had cops out in the street, there would be less crime. Um, if we had more paramedics, the waiting time for an ambulance wouldn't be on average about four hours. Hmm. You know, you would be able to get an ambulance. So, yes, I, I do think that these have ripple effects because then that builds the public's perception of us. They say, oh, I'm not going to phone an ambulance because 
they won't be here for six hours. I'll just either forget about it and I'll stay in my house and be ill or you know, be unwell, or I'll just go to the hospital myself, which again is putting people in danger. Um, so yes, I, I think that overall we, we need to really think about where our money is going. Yeah, for sure. I really cannot understand why people don't, in government don't see that, you know, cutting down the police officers is going to spike up the rate of um, crime. And the same with, as you described it, with the paramedics and stuff. It just, you know, it's kind of common sense, isn't it? Yes. Um, but again, I think this is where both of our organizations are um, so important is that the majority of the incidents that I go to just now are mental health related. You know, I, I will go to the occasional theft or housebreaking or something like that, but if I was to look at my calls over a month, what I'm going to is people in distress, you know, who are either a threat to themselves or to other people, but it's because of their mental health. Um, and I don't think that there is enough funding in general for mental health issues or mental health services for people to attend. So I think that's why me being able to get people into sport, because it's definitely a key element in good mental health is physical activity. Um, and the, the same with you, um, martial arts for mental health. We need that. Yeah, for sure. You, you know, we know all the activity, uh, sports activity is is good for a for a brain. Also, the I think the non-judgmental environment. You know, when you go into the group, it doesn't matter if it's karate, chess, or football. Mm -hmm. When you've got the group that is not judgmental and you feel safe, your mental well-being gonna get better. If you go mm -hmm. to the group that try to you know all the time tease you and it's nasty for you and bully you. Your, your mental health is going to get worse. Yeah. So I think... Yeah, definitely. I think um, that, that kind of concept is called othering, and we have that so much in society. You'll see it. Even school kids, um, they have a uniform. It's set out. You know, it's black shoes and black trousers, whatever it might be. But if somebody goes with their generic supermarket shoes and someone goes with black Nike shoes suddenly there's that separation. There's now two groups, there's cliques. Um, and that happens in sport as well. And that's a, a kind of barrier that we want to take down. We want kids and adults to be able to go to their dojo or the, their practice area and not just be in their civilian clothes, but feel like they're part of that group by having whatever uniform it is that they need. Yeah, I, I think they, for me, because I used to suffer with a huge anxiety, the uniform was like an armor um, that I put on and I could have, could have been, I was somebody else. I could pretend and convince myself that, you know, I am confident, I don't have a problem with anybody, I can be myself. And that kind of later on translated that I could put that uh, into my general life to be more comfortable. Yeah. But that having that part of the group, being a part of a group, everybody is uniformed, everybody's got a comfortable clothing, you know, it's easier to train in a gi because you can grab, you can pull. Uh, I think it's a very, very important part of 
of um, belonging to something and having that support group. So I think you're doing a great job. Um, we provide geese, discounted geese as well for my guys if they are in a position that they are not able to, to pay for it. So, um, yeah, I think, I think it's a great idea. And uh, I think your students going to be feeling better with having that uniforms and being part of the group. Um, have you noticed that, that, you know, they, they behavior changes, they belonging to the group changing the perception of themselves changing? Yes, I, I think, and you know, I, I've worked with adults as well. I still work with adults and the process is the same. You, you get an anxious practitioner that comes, um, who has, whatever issue they have going on at home that, that's kind of causing that anxiety and that, that feeling, maybe that lack of self-confidence, but you, you're then giving them a plan. You, you know, no matter what style you do, there's a beginning and a middle and an end and that there's ways to progress. And they, they will want to put in the work because they will start to see the benefits, that confidence, that feeling part of a new community, you know, and just the confidence in themselves that they are learning and developing. So I, I do enjoy seeing that um, in all of the participants. I, th I think that that's the, the great, great, great thing. Uh, I think that everybody like you said, no matter the children, the adults, they need, I like you described it, clan, the clan. I never thought about it like a clan, belonging to the group, but the clan mm. is a nice expression. I think very Scottish, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah I think they all, 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 all need that support and being part of something that it's got a common goal, right? Because we're all trying to go through that martial arts to become better and we can drag and support each other to achieve mm -hmm. that goal. Uh, do you have many people converted from your job to a, your club? So let's say you caught somebody doing a mischief like a boys or girls and then listen, you can come to our club and, and so something like that. Um, I haven't, no. Um... I don't know, maybe I haven't taken opportunity, maybe there has been opportunity. Um, no, unfortunately I haven't. I haven't had someone, one of the clubs that I teach at is actually just around the corner from my station. Uh -huh. And I haven't had anybody walk through the door yet and be like, oh, you know, you arrested me two weeks ago or anything like that. I, I would be entirely open to that because again, once I've dealt with the incident, that's that's it done. You know, that that's my interaction with you over. If you were then to come into my club, that's a different interaction. And that's the difference is that you can come from a rich background, you can come from a poor background, you can be very confident and possibly cocky or arrogant, or you can be very shy. When you walk in that door, you're now going to become somebody else. You know, you're going to balance out more. And we don't really ask where you come from. We, we don't really care where you come from, whether you're rich or poor. You, you're here at the class and you're learning. Awesome. 
So is it difficult for you to have that distinction, work, uh, training, and non inf- interact with, uh, not interact, influence each other? So somebody really naughty come in to your club, and you got a problem with it in work, club. <laughs> How do you balance that out? I think should that occasion ever arise, the the individual would have to be willing to change and be willing to be that role model inside and outside of the dojo. Um, as I explained, I think coaches have to be. If I got information to suggest that they were carrying on their criminal activity, then they would be asked to probably not come back to the club. Because as instructors, we have a responsibility to look after our kids and our adults. And that's sometimes from ourselves. You know, you know, if me and you were training and then you were to do something probably ill-advised, you know, I would quietly say to you, you know, is everything all right? What's happening? Let's get you back to who you were or what, what you were doing. Um, so, yes, I, I think that part of the dojo has to be strict and regimented and we have to look after each other very well but it can also be open to anybody anybody can come through the door and anybody should be able to train so what's the future for what's your future plans for Gizagi? hopefully um we, we have our mutual friends um in germany mm-hmm. I, i believe Hopefully, it would be to go international with it. Right now, I think we're, we're only a year in, and I'm maybe a wee bit ahead of where we we're actually at. What I would like to see is over this year, just a bigger members base, more knowledge of us, and more people approaching us for applications. I would, I would love to see more people getting into martial arts. I'm sure you're gonna be very successful with it. Um, it it's you know, starting something that is charitable and help people. It takes a long time, but it's like a slow, a slow snowball. It just gets momentum. I I had exactly the same with karate for mental health. It was very very slow in the beginning, and now it's it's a decent size. Um, so I'm sure it's gonna be growing. And you know, if you need any help, I'm here. I can share it through our social media like we done before. And you know, podcasting and stuff like that. Where people can find the information about you joining in, do your advertising. So we attend different events throughout the year. We're very open to coming to events. So just send us an email if you're running something, and we'll come down, hand out flyers. Other than that, we're on Facebook at Gizagi. You can email us at gizagi.charity. At Google Mail. You can find us on our website at gizagi.org and our phone number's on there as well. So, yeah. All the links are going to be in the description below. And, you know, I think with the £15 a year, we can mm-hmm. do it. I'm going to be signing up in a, in a minute. I think you guys can do it as well, support the good cause. And um, I think I've got some spare geese. I might send it to you. I have to have a look. So I just got rid of some bad timing. Um, and um, thank you for your time, Matthew, and wishing you all the best. Thank you very much, Liz. Happy with everything? Yes.
perfect. Yeah. Yeah, I think that you're doing a super, super job. I think it's very needed, even here in UK, in uh, in UK, in uh, in uh, England. I've got few people who haven't been afforded geese, so we've been just giving them out when when I okay. do. So yeah, which I think is great, and you know, a lot of clubs up here. I think it's more of a marketing strategy up here where they're like attend for a month, get a free gee. Yeah, that that's cool. But the issue is that kids especially can go through two or three geese in a year yeah. just because they're growing. So, yeah, that first gee is free. Fantastic. That's them now engaged in the club. They're engaged. New friend group, new mentality. They're seeing the benefits. And then suddenly they need a new gee, but mum and dad can't afford it. Yeah. So they then they drop out and they, they lose all of that, they, you know, all of those benefits. So... That that's where we would be very happy to step in and give them one. Um, same for adults, as I said earlier, that have lost their job or been made redundant. Let's not cut out the thing that's probably saving your mental health at that point. Uh, let you know. Let let's not cut out the the practice. Awesome. Thank you for your time. Uh, it's going to come next 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 week out. I send you a link, so feel free to share yeah. whatever you want. And like I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna drop you some money in a minute. That's perfect. Thank you very much. Um, I'll send you the details. For it. Cool. All right. All right. Perfect. Cool. Thank, Thank you very much. much for your time. Take care. Bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.